we welcome you. We're not going to be in our series of chosen, but actually we're kind of talking about someone that you all mentioned in your series before that, which is the making of champions. We're going to look at a scene in the life of David. If you have a Bible, you can open with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you're in your Bible app, you can find that or in an actual Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 6 is where we'll be today. And the theme that we're talking about today is, if loving the Lord is wrong, then I don't want to be right. See, that sounds like something you should say to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, neighbor, if loving the Lord is wrong, then I don't want to be right. Amen. Amen. So our text is 2 Samuel 6. And that actually comes in the life of David at the very beginning of his reign as king. Earlier, about seven years before, he had become the king just of his tribe in Judah. But now all of the kingdom is together. And one of the first scenes that we have with him as king is right here in chapter 6. I'm just going to read the first five verses and then we'll pray and jump in. David again, verse 1, gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart. For the ark of God in Ohio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and cassinets and cymbals. This is the word of God. Let's go to God in prayer together. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living and it's active, that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And we thank you for that because what that means is you're able to get beneath the surface. You're able to get to our thoughts and our minds and our attitudes, even our very hearts. And we pray that you might do that in this time we have together. Lord, we we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in this place. We pray that you would guide us, help us to understand these words. But even more than that, we want you to fill us with yourself, fill us with your power, so that we can live in light of the things that we talk about today. Lord, help it be true for us that if loving you is wrong, then we don't want to be right. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Now, like most preachers, I'm stealing a line from somebody else. I didn't come up with that line of loving the Lord is wrong, then I don't want to be right. I actually got that from coming to America. You can put up that picture of Reverend Brown. Some of y'all, some of y'all remember him. Lord, have mercy. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. He does such a good job in there. If loving the Lord is wrong, he said, I don't want to be right. (laughs) And that's something that we actually see, though, in the life of David. Not just in this passage, but really all of his life. Somebody that loves God, if loving the Lord is wrong, he says with his life, I don't want to be right. And really, you saw that in the lives of all the people that you were talking about in that series in the making of champions, all of those Old Testament saints. If we dig beneath the surface, we'll find the same thing, that all of them have this love in their heart for God, which drives them in all that they do. And it's a good thing 
Because y'all talked about the fact that they went through a lot of stuff, didn't they? They went through disappointments and pains and struggles and fears. They struggled with their own sin and temptation. They struggled with being called impossible things. But at the very heart was a love for God that says, if loving him is wrong, then I don't want to be right. And don't we need the same thing? I don't know what you come in with this morning. I don't know what you're dealing with there at home as you're watching online, but surely you relate to a lot of these folks from the Bible that are dealing with struggle and weariness and wanting to feel like giving up and struggling with anxiety and guilt and shame and fear and struggling with temptation or opposition. What do they do? What keeps them going? What's going to keep us going? This love that says, Lord, if loving you is wrong, then I don't want to be right. That's what's led to you all giving yourself away to 300 children in Ghana. It's that love for God. So how do we grow in that? Or how do we get it if we don't have that yet? We're going to look at that quickly and see three things about the Lord in this passage that lead us to love him more and more. Don't you think about somebody that you love very much and somebody says, what is it that you love about them? And you'll think, I love them because of, what would you say? I love them because of their faithfulness. I love them because of their love or their compassion or something like that. Well, we're going to look at three things about the Lord that give us cause to love him more and more and more. Is that all right? So let's look at that together. We'll start with loving the Lord because of what we just sang about, of his holiness. Loving the Lord because of his holiness. Now, just to, to recap the verses that I read, David is sending for the ark of God to come back. And it's been about 40 years that it's been gone. And so one of the first things that he wants to do as king is bring the ark back. Why is that? Because he wants all the people to know that, that, that yes, I'm being crowned as the king, but you got a greater king. And that's not me. Your ultimate king is God. And so he wants everybody to know that, that, that I'm not the greater king. I'm pointing to the greater king. And that's God himself. And so he says, I want to get the ark back. And so they come with great celebration because it represents not just symbolically, but the very presence of God dwelling with his people. But then we come to verse six in the story. There's a picture, thank you, of what the ark might have looked like. And we come to verse six in the story. And here is the dramatic and traumatic turn. Maybe some of you are familiar with this story. It says, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah, remember that's one of the guys carrying the ark. It says, he put out his hand to the ark of God and he took hold of it for the oxen had stumbled. Can you picture that? It's falling over and he reaches out, maybe just instinctively to grab it and make sure it doesn't hit the ground. But then verse seven, it says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And it says, God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. So just imagine you're there. There's this great celebration. And then all of a sudden, it stops. Because somebody that you know and love, he's doing something that's probably had good intentions. And he falls dead right there. Because somehow he thinks that his hand is more holy than the ground that the ark is going to fall upon. And he, strike, he struck down and died. So how does David react? If you look at the next verse, 8, with anger and fear, it says, David was angry 
because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he asked an important question. He says, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? He's saying, how can a holy God be in the presence of unholy people? He's experiencing what, what others in the Bible have experienced, what some call the trauma of holiness. Remember in the Old Testament with Isaiah, where he sees this great vision in the temple where the heavenly creatures are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amazing scene. But then Isaiah's like, uh-oh, because I'm unholy. And he says, woe unto me, I'm ruined, for I'm unclean. And my eyes have seen the king. Remember Peter, when he meets Jesus, remember they're in the boat and they have this miraculous catch. And you might expect Peter to respond to that saying, yes, we're going to sign him up. We're going to be rich. He's going to help us be the greatest fisherman ever. What's, what's his response? He falls down and he says, Lord, go away from me. For I am a sinful man. Because he recognizes he's in the presence of one who's holy. And that's what David is going through here. Now, I always get a kick about what happens next in verse 10. Look at what happens. Verse 10. So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Can you imagine being in Obed-Edom's shoes? You're hearing this, wait, the ark of God, it can't come. It's going to kill us. But send it to your house. What? But, but look at what happened. Look at verse 11. It says, The ark of God remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. And what happened? And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So then what happens in verse 12? It says, It was told to King David, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom. To the city of David with rejoicing. It's good to be the king, right? If you're obeyed him, you're like, what? Come on, man. But I guess he couldn't say anything because it was the king. And they are rejoicing. Why? They're rejoicing and loving the Lord for his holiness. They recognize that and they recognize the fact that a holy God has made a way for an unholy people to be made holy. So that they can be in his presence. Amazing. And so they rejoice. So how do we apply that? Two ways. One is join the choir. As we already were singing of the holiness of God. What did we just say? Holy is the Lord. Holy. There is none like you. You are Lord God Almighty. Will you join the choir? Because there's nobody greater. There's nobody greater than our God. Is there anybody that can give him praise today? I know we're in the sermon, but we're still in worship. Can you give him praise for who he is? Because there's nobody like him. There's nobody greater. He's God all by himself. But then the other application, and maybe this hits somebody today, is to make sure that we ask the questions in the storm. Ask the questions in the storm. Do you remember that account? You guys, kids, y'all remember that story of when Jesus is uh, in the boat with, the, with his disciples and they have this great storm and the guys are afraid. And it's saying a lot 
because some of them are fishermen professionally and they're afraid of this storm. And they wake Jesus up. Do you remember the first question that they ask him? They say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Oh, I wonder if there's somebody at home. I wonder if there's somebody down at Shaw or in this room that's asking Jesus that same question. Teacher, don't you care if I drown in my anxiety? If I drown in my weariness? If I drown in my loneliness? If I drown in my pain? If I drown in my sorrow? If I drown in my grief? Teacher, don't you care? Maybe you're feeling like that. And I want to encourage you, go ahead and ask him. Go right to the master because he's big enough to handle it. He wants you to come and bring that pain and struggle to him and say, don't you care about what I'm going through? Don't you care about what we're facing today? But also make sure you ask the second question. Do you remember what happens in that story? Is Jesus stands up and he says to the wind and the waves, peace be still. And they do. And it's funny in the gospel account, it says before this, when they were in the storm, they were afraid. But after the storm was over, it says they're terrified. <laughs> like what? Why? What's wrong with those guys? They actually have the right response because they realize who they're in the boat with. They realize they're in the boat with the one who's the master of the storm. The one who's greater than the storm. And remember the second question, they said, who is this? Oh, that even the winds and the waves obey him. And so I tell you, ask both of those questions in your pain, in your struggle. Lord, don't you care? But then don't forget about the second one. Who is this? That's with me in the storm. The master of the storms. I don't understand what I'm doing right now. I, it's too big for me. It's too great for me, but it's not too great for him. So we praise the Lord for his holiness. Secondly, not only do we love him for his holiness, but also we love him for his mercy. We see that here. We love him for his mercy. What happens next? Go to verse 13 of the passage. It says, when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And, and next, I want to share some verses with you from First Chronicles because there's a parallel passage which tells us a little bit more about what's going on in the background. So in First Chronicles 15, verse 2, it says, Then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. So in, before, in the word of God, God had made a way. He had prescribed a way for how they were supposed to approach a holy God, and they didn't do it that way. But then go to that next verse, verse 13. Here's what David says. He realized that he did it wrong the first time. He says, because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. So then verse 15. So what did they do? And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So what did they do? They fixed it. <laughs> they repented. They did it wrong the first time. And they made sure they got it right the second time. Does anybody hear me today? Maybe there's somebody here that realizes you've been going wrong the first time. 
but God in his mercy has given you a chance to get it right the second time and be able to do it the way that he has prescribed in his word. A holy God prescribes a way to be able to come to him. So what can we take away? One is this, is that God has prescribed a way to come and be in relationship with him and in his family. And what's that way? It's through his son, Jesus, who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except how? Except through me. So maybe you're, you're here today. Maybe you're at the campus at Shaw. Maybe you're at home and you don't know him yet, but you're saying, I want to get to God. I am so glad you're with us. Please come down during prayer when we end today. Or reach out to somebody on the connect card or something. Reach out and let them know. Tell them, I want to get to Jesus. Because God has prescribed a way for me to get to him. How else do we apply? One is to learn from our mistakes. Anybody made any in here? Anybody had any failures in this room? Anybody feel like giving up because of them? Anybody feel like it's over? because of how you failed. What did they do here? They show us that we can learn. Don't waste your pain. Learn from it and come back better the next time. And then one more thing. What else do we take away as he calls us to love the Lord for his mercy? Receive the Lord's mercy. Very simply, I'm saying that to you today. Receive the Lord's mercy. Because I know for some of us, right, high energy, want to accomplish a lot of stuff. That's the most difficult thing for us. When we've messed up, we're like, oh, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to make sure that thing doesn't happen again. But what's covered or what's filling us behind is shame and guilt. And what this shows us is to receive his mercy. And I'm learning that. Has anybody in here ever been impacted by church hurt? Anybody in this room? Anybody at the Shaw campus? Anybody online? You've been hurt by church hurt. So have I. But let me say this also. I've been in pastoral ministry for 30 years. And I have not only experienced church hurt, I have inflicted church hurt. I have hurt people because of my own arrogance, my pride, my cowardice, my selfishness. My wife's been hurt. My kids have been impacted. Some of my very best friends in the world I've hurt because of my own sin and my own brokenness as a leader. And so maybe you're here and you're in my shoes. Receive his mercy. One of the things I love about David is he's able, on the one hand, to not blow off these deep and real things. You can read through all the Psalms, and you can see that he feels stuff. He's not in denial and saying, oh, big deal, just get over it. You know, people make mistakes, whatever, whatever, whatever. He's really feeling that, that people lost their lives because of his failure. But he also brings it to God. He's not just in denial, but he's also not giving in to despair. 
He comes to God and he lays all of that before him. And maybe that's what some of us are being called to today. To come and lay that before God and say, here you go. I want to receive your mercy. That's why David can say, search me, O God, and, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thought. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It takes a lot of boldness to pray something like that. Search me, O God, know me, test me, all of those things. Why does he do that? Because the mercy of God is not some abstract concept to him. He's experienced it. And so he knows he can trust God. And so can you and I with whatever we have to say, God, come on, in your mercy, have mercy on me. So here we see we love God for his holiness. We love him for his mercy. And the last thing we see is we love him for his grace. We love him because of his grace. We come down to verse 16 as the celebration is continuing. And it says here, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, it tells us here that not everybody's rejoicing. There's one person that is not. It says, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Who is Michael? That's actually David's wife. How do you know that? How do you know that? From the Bible, right? It's not a trick question. But she is, she's his wife, and she used to love him. If you go back earlier, she saved his life before. But now that something's happened, and, and the reason I ask that is because the narrator here, the writer, does something brilliant here. He's trying to teach us something. How does it refer to Michael here? As what? As the daughter of Saul. And every place in this chapter, that's how it refers to her. Even though before it refers to her as the wife of David. But here it refers to her as the daughter of Saul. What is the narrator trying to say? He's saying that she has aligned herself with her father, the other king. The king who didn't obey the Lord. Not with David, the man after God's own heart. He's telling us that he's aligned, she's aligned herself with the ways of her father. So then if you, I don't, I don't have time to read the, the part in between, but what happens next in 2 Samuel is you find the people offer sacrifices and burnt offerings and peace offerings. And then David blesses every single household with this meal that has a piece of meat and a cake of bread and a cake of raisins. In Baltimore, we say that's a chicken box. Everybody got a chicken box in the entire kingdom. So think about hundreds of thousands of people get a chicken box from the king. Amazing. Him sharing the joy and the blessing with every single household in the kingdom. But then he comes home and he receives a different welcome in his own household in verse 20. It says, David returned to bless his household, but Michael, who? The daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today. 
uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar's fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. You see that phrase, it's translated vulgar fellows? In the original language, what it means essentially is a thug. She's saying, you ain't nothing but a thug. That's what you are. Now, why is she reacting to him like that? Is his dancing that bad? <laughs> well, he's a musician. He probably had a lot of rhythm. He probably does, does great at the dancing. What is it? Is, is it her saying, you know what? My friends told me I shouldn't have married no shepherd boy. Right? You can take the boy out of Bethlehem, but you can't take the Bethlehem out of the boy. I knew I should have married a prince, but here we go. Look at what, is that what's going on? Maybe there's a little bit of that, but there's more. You see, in that culture, it was improper for you to dance before somebody who is beneath you in rank. And so see, she's mad. The king is dancing before these servants, female servants. You're not supposed to do that. They're supposed to be dancing before you. You're not supposed to be dancing before them. The king shouldn't be dancing before anybody because he's the highest in rank. That's why she's upset. You're not acting like a king. You're not supposed to be dancing before anybody because you're the highest in rank. So how does David respond? Verse 21, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. And at the end of the verse, it says, I will celebrate how? Before the Lord. You know what he's saying? He's saying, honey, you got it twisted. You don't understand. I wasn't dancing before somebody lesser than me because I was dancing before the Lord. And then he goes and tells a story. He says, the Lord who chose me above your father. Uh oh, and above, woo, and above all his house, it's gonna be cold in that home that night, Lord. To appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. Now David is not just throwing shade at her. What he's doing behind, maybe there's a little shade, right? Maybe you know what I'm saying. But 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 <laughs> underneath that, do you know what David is doing? He's recounting the grace of God in his life. He said, oh, you can get mad at me, but listen, you don't understand where God brought me from. You didn't see me when God reached down and saved me before. You didn't know who I was when God changed me. You don't know, you don't remember where, where God brought me from. So excuse me if I, if I act a fool right now, because I'm just happy about the grace of God in my life. So you can talk about me if you want to, but just move over to the side a little bit. Give me some room to celebrate his grace. If loving the Lord is wrong, he's saying, I don't want to be right. He's recounting the grace of God in his life. And then we'll go to this last section, 22. He says, I'll make myself yet more contemptible than this. He said, I don't care. I'm just so glad that God chose to save somebody like me. You can talk about me if you want to, but I'm going to praise him for his grace. I'll be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you've spoken, by them, 
I shall be held in honor. Isn't that interesting? He's saying that the female servants who were the lowest in that society, they're going to get it, but the queen is not going to get it. (laughs) Isn't that how the gospel works? It's kind of upside down. It's those on the bottom that get it, but those on the top don't get it. And he's saying it's being displayed right here. And then one more verse before we get ready to end. 23, it says, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. I don't want to pass too quickly over that. Because I realize that even reading that, is, that might cause some pain and grief and sorrow. Because you know, or maybe you know somebody that knows what that feels like. And so I don't want to skip over that too quickly without acknowledging that. And again, that's something you say, Lord, don't you care? And bring that to God. But why is it here? Because it's saying in that context for her that there will be no one who's related to Saul who will ever reign on that kingdom, in that kingdom. That's why that's there. To say that nobody's ever going to have a claim to that. Now let's go to the last, the end. That's the last part. But I'm going to end. Well, my time ran out. But quickly, let me say, what can we take away? One is to recognize that everything you do, you do before the Lord. And so you worship the Lord, not just when we're here on Sunday morning at 9.52 a.m., but 9.52 Monday morning and Tuesday and Wednesday when you're in an office or a construction site or a home or a classroom, wherever you are. You do that before the Lord. And then the other thing, when you are being opposed by the people around you, is to go ahead and recount the grace of God in your own life. Say, hold on, you don't remember where it is that God brought me from. You don't remember how God saved me, how he made me alive when I was dead. You don't remember the chains that God ripped open so I could be free. You don't remember that God took me from being an enemy of God, and he's made me a child of God. So make sure that you recount the the glories of his grace in your own heart. And where do we go to get a heart like this? Oh, the good news today is we actually know more than this David knew. Because we know the one to whom David points. We know the greater David. We know the greater David, Jesus Christ. We know the one who in himself encapsulates all the holiness and mercy and grace of God. We know the one who also had the wrath of God break out against him. Not because of his errors, because he didn't have any, but because of ours. We know the one who was struck down and treated as unholy so that we would be made holy. We know the one with all of his life and on his way to the cross and on the cross who was saying, Lord, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. And hear me today. We know the one who looked at you when he was on that cross and said, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Why do we love? Honestly, it's because he first loved us. 
And so let us love the Lord for his holiness, for his mercy, for his grace, so that we might be able to say with our lips and with our very lives, if loving him is wrong, then we don't want to be right. Father, we thank you for this David and what we learn from him, but we thank you for the greater David to whom he points. We love because you first loved us. Lord, you chose us. You chose orphans to adopt. That's us. You did it. And so we thank you for that. And because of that, Lord, we want to love you more and more and more. We want to live as the people that you've called us to be. So we pray you would help us to do that through your spirit, through your power, and for your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.